ages four and under for Kids Church. Um, and I'd ask the rest of you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. First Kings chapter 3, and once you found it, please stand for the reading of God's word. Theo, first command up. <clears throat> We're going to read 1 Kings 3, verses 1 through 15. It says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high place. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, uh, for that was the, the great high place. Solomon used to offer a, a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what, what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for a multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, who, who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had, had asked this, and God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has, has been before you and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also... What you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if, and if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Let's pray. Father God, um, yeah, we just thank you for your word. Um, we pray um, for Nolan this morning as he preaches the word to us this morning, God, that we would have eyes and ears that are open, um, that would uh, yeah, seek to be like Solomon and discern, um, to, to have wisdom, to understand, God, that that would be us this morning. And, and hearing your word preached, God, we pray that you would give 
uh, Nolan clarity of, of mind and of words and of thought, God, that you would fill him with your spirit this morning, that he would be able to preach faithfully, preach boldly, um, to preach truth, God. Uh, yeah, just pray that you would fill him. Um, God, we pray that you would yeah, convict sin where there is sin, that you would encourage where there's in need of encouragement, God, that you would use um, Nolan to preach your word faithfully this morning. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, good morning. I'm Nolan. I'm a, I'm a member here at Central, uh, and it is an honor to get to bring you uh, God's word this morning. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for bringing us here to encounter you through your word. Uh, we pray that you would give us a greater sense of your glory as we dive into your word this morning. Help us see our need for dependence on you, God. Help us see our need for your son this morning. God, help us see our need for grace. Father, I pray that you would fill me now with your spirit as I, as I bring your word to your people. I pray that you would uh, convict my heart, uh, convict the hearts of, of those in front of me this morning. Father, we praise you for your word and we praise you for your son. And I pray all this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to begin by asking a few questions. What do you think you need more than anything else? What are your biggest perceived needs? As Christians, we all know the right answer to this question off the bat. We know that more than anything else, we need Jesus. But what do you find yourself prioritizing throughout the day? What needs consume your thinking on a day-to-day -day basis? What's something that you could not imagine going without? Something that consumes your thinking? If you were honest with God about your deepest desires, what would you find yourself asking Him for? If you asked someone to, to maybe survey your thoughts over the last week or over the last month, what would they find you desiring more than anything else? What would they find you striving for? What would they find you going after? Maybe if you're a, a student today, you think your biggest need is, is for good grades. You think, I can get good grades, then I can get a successful career, then I'll have everything I need. So you're consumed with grades. You want to be successful, because that's where you find your hope. So during the semester, all that's consuming your mind is, how can I get good grades? You check your grades every day during the semester. You can't focus on anything else. Maybe if you're uh, a parent in the room, a dad in the room, or even if you're not, maybe you're always consumed with, with money. How can I provide for my family? You're consumed with the need for money. How can I pay the bills? How can I get enough to, to provide? You're always thinking about how you can meet the bills for the month. You're always calculating how you can get there. And the, not, the thought of not having enough money is always on your mind. Maybe your biggest need, your biggest perceived need, is to maintain a good reputation. You're always consumed with, with others' thoughts about you. How you can look good in their eyes. 
How you can impress your peers with, with your words, your, your achievements, your, your holiness. You're always thinking about how you can look good in, in everyone else's eyes. So if someone were to come to you and say, um, I can offer you whatever you want, immediately, if you were honest with yourself, you'd say, my biggest need right now is money. Give me more money. That way I can have peace. Maybe you would say, I need a good reputation. I need to look good in everyone else's eyes. Then I'll be okay. <clears throat> or you think, I need good grades. I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't have a successful career, if I don't get good grades. But this morning we'll see that, that God approached Solomon and offered Solomon anything he wanted. Solomon had, Solomon had just become king of Israel. So think about all the things that Solomon could have asked for. He could have asked for, for military victories. He could have asked for, for peace in his kingdom so that he'd be able to rule well. He could have asked for, for financial stability, maybe, to make sure everything goes well in his kingdom. But we see here in these verses today, that's not what he asked for. Because he knew he needed to depend on God. And why did he know he needed to depend on God? Because he was aware of his weakness. He was aware of his need for help. He knew he was uh, up against a task that he was not sufficient for in and of himself. And he saw himself as the needy person that he was. Then on the other hand, he saw God as the gracious, sufficient provider that he is. And in this, Solomon sets an example for you and me in how he acknowledged his weakness and how he depended on God. So this morning, my, my goal in preaching is to show you your need to depend on the God of grace. Your need to depend on the God of grace. And to make this a little bit more practical, we'll define dependence. So the definition we'll be working with is this. Confessing your weakness to God and seeking His wisdom through His word and prayer. Confessing your weakness to God and seeking His wisdom through his word and prayer. So why should you depend on God? Number one, you should depend on God because he delights to extend you grace. You should depend on God because he delights to extend grace. Look at verses one through five of chapter three with me. It says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his house in the house of the Lord, in the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was a great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask whatever I shall give you. 
So in the first part of this text, in verses 1 through 4, we see Solomon's divided loyalty. He was doing a lot of things right. Verse 3 says, He walked in the ways of his father David, in David's instructions. And he loved the Lord. So he was doing fairly well at this point. But by no means here was he perfect. Immediately, in verse 1, we see that he made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, and he married Pharaoh's daughter. And in Deuteronomy, in the instructions for the kings, it forbids the kings of Israel to make marriage alliances with Egypt, any kind of alliance. In, De- in Deuteronomy 7.3, Moses forbids foreign marriages for the Israelites. So right off the bat, we see that Solomon's heart is in the right place, but there's kind of a caveat to that. He's already making alliances with Egypt, and he's already marrying foreign women. So not only did Solomon make this marriage alliance with Pharaoh, but he also let people continue to sacrifice on the high places. Look at verse 2 with me. It says the people there were sacrificing at the high places. And high places originally were meant for the idols. And God commanded all the high places to be torn down. But Solomon continues to sacrifice there. He let the people continue to worship on the high places. And not only did he just let the people worship on the high places, but he himself, as the king of Israel, was making sacrifices on the high places that he should have destroyed. So in verse 4, Solomon goes up to Gibeon, where the high places are, to sacrifice there. And as he's going there, as he's going to the wrong place to sacrifice, as he's made a, a marriage alliance that was not pleasing to the Lord, God appears to him in a dream. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, At Gibeon, the very place where the high places were, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask whatever I shall give you. The Lord appeared to Solomon in the very place where the high places were. The Lord had so many things he could punish Solomon for, even here, right at the beginning of Solomon's kingdom. But God still desired to show Solomon grace. The Lord still desired to appear to him. He saw past Solomon's disobedience and he extended grace right when Solomon needed it. Isn't it amazing that God didn't just strike Solomon down right here? God had every right to strike him dead. But he delighted to show Solomon grace. And praise the Lord that he extends the same grace to you and me this morning, right? His faithfulness doesn't depend on our obedience to him, on how faithful we are to him. His faithfulness depends on his perfect, unchanging character. And he's quick to notice in us a heart that desires him. Verse 3 says David or Solomon was walking in the statutes of the Lord, and he had a heart that desired to please the Lord. So God was quick to notice in Solomon a heart that desired to please the Lord. And even in the midst of Solomon's sin, he appears to him out of grace. Isaiah, in describing Jesus, describes Jesus' patience in this way. Isaiah 42.3 A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. God delights to show grace to broken people. 
He's patient in the midst of our sin. Not only that, but he delights to show grace to broken sinners. Even when we stumble in our pursuit of holiness. So Jesus bears so many of our imperfections and still desires to bless us for his name. Based on his holiness and his goodness and not our obedience to him. So maybe this morning you're keeping yourself distant from God because you're not believing that he truly delights to show his people grace. Maybe you don't draw near to him in prayer because you wonder, man, if you did, whether he'd really receive you. Maybe you think he's, he's just run out of grace for you. But if you continue to keep yourself distant from God, just because you don't think he has the grace to still remain with you, to keep his promises towards you, just look at the grace that he extended here to Solomon. Solomon had just made a sinful marriage alliance. And he's going up to the high places. And God still delights to appear to him. So choose to believe that God delights in mercy. Choose to draw close to him in prayer. Claiming the truth that he delights to draw near to sinners. That he's gentle and lowly. That that's his very nature. So number one, why should you depend on God? You should depend on God because he delights to extend grace. So next, why should you depend on God? Point number two, you should depend on God because you desperately need his help. Look at verses six through ten with me. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. Because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given to him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? So in these verses we say we see Solomon displaying a humble heart posture. First he acknowledges, he acknowledges that God is trustworthy. God has kept his promise to keep a son of David on the throne. <coughs> he knows that God has put David on the throne. And he knows that God is the one who can help him. He acknowledges that God is the one who can show steadfast love and keep his promises. So Solomon knows that God here is in complete control. And on the other hand, he knows his desperate need for help. Solomon needed help because he had many enemies in the kingdom to deal with. If you remember in chapters 1 and 2, he had Adonijah, who was trying to take the throne from him. He had Joab trying to fight against him. He had Shimei trying to fight against him. And at the end of chapter, th at the end of chapter 2, we finally see that Solomon's throne was established. 
but he had three long years of fighting against his enemies. And he also needed help in governing the people well. He sees how big the task is, and he says, This people are too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. There was probably about 800,000 people in Israel during this time. And Solomon was also very young. It was estimated here that he was about 20 years old. That's the age of a fusion student. Imagine that, a fusion student in charge of 800,000 people. So on top of having enemies to deal with, and a multitude of people to rule, Solomon is very inexperienced, about 20 years old. And he prays, I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. He knows he's in way over his head in the task of ruling Israel. And he knows that for him to rule in a God-honoring way, he needs help. He can't do it on his own. He was feeling the weight of his responsibilities. He knew he would have to exercise skill in wars and battles as a military commander. He knew he would need to, to handle the money and resources of the nation in an effective way. He would need to conduct foreign affairs well. As a king of Israel, he would need to oversee the worship of God's people here. And he was 20 years old. And he would need to do all these things in a way that pleased God, in a way that honored God. So as a result of seeing God's sufficiency and his own need for help, his own weakness, and all the responsibilities that he had, he knows what he needs to ask for. So he asks for an understanding and discerning heart. Think about all the other things he could have asked for. For military stability, military strength, for financial stability, for victory against his enemies, inside and outside Israel. But he knew, this is the key, he knew his weakness and his insufficiency. He knew he needed help. And he knew that God was able to provide, and so he asks for wisdom. So what about you? Do you see your own weakness in such a way that you know that you cannot live a God-pleasing life apart from his help? Do you recognize that if you made your plans apart from Scripture, apart from dependence on God, you'd have no hope in pleasing him? Do you recognize that Scripture, that God's wisdom, is the only source of true help? Today, our world has abandoned the fear of the Lord, has abandoned God's word for their own wisdom, for worldly wisdom. And they try to solve its issues in so many ways. People have built great universities, great hospitals, written countless books on wisdom. They've made a lot of strides in um, medicine, in technology, in psychology. They've, they've devised governments that have tried to solve the issue. People have contemplated since the beginning of time how to solve the world's problems. But all this effort has come to nothing. We still have broken families. We still have terrorist attacks. 
drug overdoses, civil unrest, depression, suicide, school shootings, the list goes on and on, right? And this is where human wisdom has gotten us. So why hasn't human wisdom solved the world's problems? Because the world has missed the first step, the very first step in gaining wisdom. They do not fear God. So recognize that man's wisdom, apart from the help of God, has gotten us this broken society. So don't you see your need here to stop trusting in your own wisdom and to, and to de depend on God and his word? Look with me at Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1, 20 through 23. This passage makes so clear that God makes his wisdom available to anyone who would seek it. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called, and you refused to listen. I have stretched out my hand, and no one is heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not hear. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way. Do we not see that that's become true in our world? They will eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. So how do you get true wisdom? How can you make decisions that flow from a right relationship with God? First step is to fear the Lord. Elsewhere, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you cannot become wise without a relationship with Jesus. So what do you do to become wise if you don't know Jesus? First, you have to repent. You have to restore a right relationship with him. But if you do know God's word, if you have submitted your life to Jesus, then dive into God's word as if your life depended on it. Because wisdom can't be found anywhere else. So in the context of a relationship with his son, having been forgiven of him, see how to live in light of the gospel. See what the Bible says about ordering your family, your priorities, your finances, 
how you should think, what you should love, what should motivate you, how to spend your time, what to do with your eyes, your hands, your feet, everything. Run to his word and flee your own wisdom. So why should we depend on God? Depend on God, number one, because he delights to extend grace. And number two, depend on God because you desperately need his help to please him. So moving on, point number three, why should you depend on God? Point number three, you should depend on God because he delights to give you what you ask him. Look with me at verses 10 through 14, 10 through 14. After Solomon's request, it says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So notice, first of all, in verse 10, that God was delighted by Solomon's request. Because Solomon came to God and he acknowledged his own need. And on the other hand, he acknowledged God's sufficiency. So God is glorified when we acknowledge our need and his ability to meet that need. So God grants his request. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. I give you a wise and discerning mind. He answers Solomon's request. Know that God can always give his people what they ask for. He stays true to his promises. And if he makes a promise in Scripture, and you're one of his children, you can bet everything you own that he's going to keep that promises. He delivers on his promise, just like he did to Solomon here. But notice that God doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just stop at the first thing that Solomon asked for. Look at verse 13. God says to Solomon, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor. So God shows his generosity here by giving Solomon above and beyond what he asked for. Because God delights to bless his children. And then beyond all that, it doesn't just stop there. Look at verse 14. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So then there's a third promise. Solomon, if you walk according to my ways, I'll give you long life. Solomon made one request, but God gives him three things here. And God's generosity to Solomon here shows God's delight in blessing his children. Again and again throughout the Bible, this is a theme. God delights to bless his children. 
Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount shows that God delights to grant his children their requests. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11, turn there with me. Jesus says this to the crowds. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, listen to that, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts, give good things to those who ask him? So track with me here with Jesus' reasoning. He says mankind is evil. And even evil man wants to give their children good gifts. So think about evil man, then think about holy, good, gracious God. So Jesus' line of thinking here is, man, a good and gracious God, in comparison to a sinful man, how much more is this gracious, loving God going to delight to answer his children's requests? How much more will God delight to give his children good gifts? This is a theme throughout all of Scripture. So in, in preparing this, I had to just pick a few scriptures to, to walk us through this scene. But uh, another scripture is in Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32, you don't have to turn there. But it says, He, being God, who did, not, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously with him give us all things? So think about this. Jesus dwelled with God before eternity began, or before creation began, he was dwelling with his father, and he was his father's most treasured possession. Enjoying his father throughout all of before creation. So if God gave us his own son, the most cherished being in the whole universe, do we really think he's going to withhold any good thing from his people? One more theme, or one more verse that traces this theme. 1 John 5, 14 through 15. It says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask him, we know that we have the requests that we ask Him. So God delights to bless His children. This theme is all throughout Scripture and throughout church history. I'm sure many of you are, are familiar with the story of George Mueller. He ran an orphanage. He was a preacher. He did a million other things. But he's known because he had this orphanage that he never asked for money for. He had hundreds of orphans at a time in his orphanage and he did not once ask a potential donor for money. He wanted to glorify God by displaying God's goodness and provision for him. 
Because he knew that God would answer his prayers. So he would pray to God consistently, asking for God to provide for those in his care. And time after time, if you read his biography, it's amazing. Time after time, he gets an unsolicited provision for the orphans. He got money, he got food, he got places for the orphans to stay. Time after time, because of his diligent prayer, because he knew this truth that we're talking about. He knew that God delighted to give his children good gifts. So again, I ask, what about you? Are you quick to run to God knowing that he will delight to give you what you ask him? Do you believe the promise that Jesus will give his people whatever they ask for in his name? Do you believe that God hears your prayers and that he delights to answer them? So, so maybe today you're not praying, you're not asking God for these things because you don't believe that he actively listens to your prayers. And this is what our feelings are constantly telling us, right? That God isn't here, that he's not with us. Often we feel that there's an iron ceiling in the sky separating us from God and that God is unable to hear us. So when you don't feel near to God, when you don't believe that he's going to answer your prayers that you ask according to his will, choose to believe the truth that he hears, that he knows, and that he delights to answer your prayers, just like he did with Solomon in these verses. So in this passage, in so many ways, God is showing you and me that we need to confess our weakness, confess our insufficiency, confess our need, and to seek God's wisdom through his word and prayer. And just to, to summarize our points, this passage gives us three reasons we need to do this. Number one, he delights to show us his grace. Number two, we are weak and we can't please him. On our own. And number three, he delights to give you what you ask him. So just some background on kings. Let's think about the first audience of this book. The first audience of this book was in exile because they had disobeyed God. And the author is telling the history of all the kings to answer this question. Why are we here? He's answering Israel's question. Why are we here? Why are we in exile? And the, answer that, and the answer to that question all throughout the book of Kings is that they were in exile because they had failed to trust God. They had failed to depend on Him. They had failed to do what Solomon did here and acknowledge his weakness and confess that God is good and gracious and will answer their requests. They put their hope in Military alliances with foreign nations. They put their hope in idols, because idols were a lot more convenient. They could, they could see them, they could touch them, they could feel them, but God seems distant. They refused to admit that they needed God, and they abandoned their relationship with Him. So that's the setting. That's why the author of Kings is writing, to show that this is why you're in this situation. This is why you're in exile. But another part of the book of Kings, another question that the author answers in Kings, is the question of, is there still hope? 
And the answer that the author of Kings gives them is yes, there is still hope. If you would just turn from your self-reliance, if you would turn from your self-sufficiency, and you acknowledge that you need him, that you can't please him on your own, that he's gracious to you, and that he will answer you if you turn to him and repent of your sins, there's hope. So maybe you find yourself in a similar situation this morning. Maybe you've yet to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus because you've ignored the counsel in God's word. You've neglected dependent prayer. And you've chosen to think that you can really do it on your own. You reject God for more convenient idols. Maybe they're not the idols in, in Israel's day, but we have so many idols today. Maybe you've resorted to, to the idol of comfort, of, of success, of, of media, popularity. And if you continue down this path, you will be destroyed. Just like Israel was in exile, they were apart from the presence of God. Except it'll be much more serious this time. If you do not repent and believe. Because you will justly deserve God's wrath, His righteous anger. And when you see Jesus on that day, no matter what you've done, if you haven't depended on Him and acknowledged your weakness, He'll say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. So if you stand before a holy God, after living a life of self-dependence, you will have done nothing to please Him. But just like there was hope for the first audience of this book, there's also hope for you. And that's the whole story of the Bible, right? That there's hope for broken sinners. God the Father, in eternity past, He knew that there would be a people who were weak, who were self-dependent, who failed to acknowledge their need for God. So He sent Jesus into the world. Wisdom became flesh. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, Jesus became wisdom itself. And he lived, he was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, depending on God every single moment, depending on his spirit. He succeeded in all the ways that Solomon would later fail as the perfect king of Israel. And then he died, a death that he did not deserve under God's wrath on the cross, so that helpless, messed up, self-dependent sinners could find grace. So he took the curse that you deserve for living a self-dependent life, and he will give you the blessings, if you would just repent, give you the blessings that he earned through his perfect life, every single moment, perfect obedience, perfect dependence on his Father and on the Spirit. So if you're not in exclusive dependence on God, if you're not acknowledging your need for wisdom and drawing to Him through prayer, turn from your self-reliance. Recognize your idolatry before a holy God. See that He deserves your worship. He deserves your dependence on Him. And you need desperately His grace. So just tell Him that you cannot please Him on your own. You can't please him without his word, without his spirit, 
and ask for his help. And he'll be ready to forgive you. Just like we've seen in here, he delights to extend grace. He delights to answer his people's prayers. He says, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So maybe you're here and you do know Jesus already. You have a relationship with him. You have confessed your need for him. You seek his wisdom in, his, in prayer and his word. So how can you apply this passage? Work to kill the remaining sin in your life. Independence on the spirit. Look at verse 15 with me. Look what Solomon did. So after experiencing God's kindness and God's grace, this is what Solomon did. It says, Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Remember, he was at the high places in Gibeon when God appeared to him. It says, Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all of his servants. So here, Solomon is running from the high places, the places where he shouldn't have been worshiping, and he's running to Jerusalem, the correct place for worship. He's repenting because he's experienced God's kindness, his goodness, and God's sufficiency. So what do you do after experiencing God's kindness, his goodness, his sufficiency in the, in, in the way that Solomon did here? By the Spirit, kill the remaining sin in your life. Just like Solomon was killing his sin of offering sacrifices at Gibeon. Romans 8.13 says that if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. So just like Solomon forsook the high places and returned to Jerusalem, cut off the remaining idols in your life. Feel your need to depend on Jesus. And if you fail to cling to Jesus, even if you know him, there's a great danger. Because Solomon would eventually fail to repent of these sins. If you know the story of Kings, you know that later in the book, he fails in the same ways that he did at the beginning, but on a much greater scale. It says he had a foreign wife in the beginning, and he offered sacrifices at the high places. In verse 1 of this chapter, and at the end, those same sins would overtake him and send Israel down the spiral that they went in that would end in exile. He failed to depend, ultimately. But praise the Lord, we have a gracious king, the right king, that succeeded where Solomon failed. Never lusting after other women. Never going after other kings or other gods. So cling to Jesus. Know that he's the one who succeeded in the way that Solomon failed. So in light of God's grace and in light of your weakness, confess your weakness to God. And seek his wisdom through his word and prayer. Confess your weakness to him and seek his wisdom through your word and prayer. Through his word and prayer. And know that you'll find a God that is ready to give you his blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us this morning of, of our need for you. We do confess that we're needy. 
We know that we can't see our need on our own, so we ask that you would continue to reveal our need and reveal your sufficiency. <coughs> Father, you're, you're gracious to us in your son Jesus. Thank you for being gracious to us. Thank you for sending him to, to die on our behalf and showing us your delight to give your children good gifts. Father, help us live in light of these truths. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.